intense curiosity and somehow embarrassment. A lonely grief rose from his stomach and tightened in his throat. A cimetière anglais came toward them, then a French and an Indian one facing across the road, and then the first German cemetery, on a farm corner by a rusted water pump. Why are we stopping? Albert looked at Jim's absorbed profile. Oh, God, we'll go ahead if it won't take long. Good. We wouldn't make your chalet tonight anyway. Jim engaged gear and twisted the wheel. The blue sign swept left in the fog and vanished. On it, in white, were the words, Grand Cimetière de Verdun. Two. Stopped on the road to Switzerland, James Penn and Albert Sunder turned up the slowly winding drive. The fog overhead brightened with a strange yellow light. "'A great-uncle is buried here, I believe,' Albert said. "'Isn't this sort of grave unmarked? Not a general's. He was a general.' Outside it looked cold. The heater whirred and made grating noises. Now the asphalt narrowed to the track of the wheels. Whining in low gear, the small car swam up into the fleeing cloud, mists sucking past without sound or wind. "'What a dreadful place,' Albert said. "'I am impressed. What a stage!' Then Jim looked into the woods, and there were the trenches. The fog was moving and rolling among the trees, and beneath them the grass-grown, dew-silvered earth rose heaving again and again, like swells made by the current of fleeing mist. After a mile came the first vanishing track, marked by a white card with a stenciled serial number. Then, in ponderous silence, an opaque billow of fog tumbled up off an invisible slope choking the road. Jim braked, the motor stalled. Lit by an amber, sourceless light, a wide space was opening ahead to the gravel summit of the hill. He got out, looked down to the right, then back at the hill, and for an instant he thought he heard the awful keening of a hundred million women's souls. A tremendous organ rumbled of throats, rolling up, pulsing, echoing, then withdrawing across the world. The smoking skies were silent. Nothing moved. There was no one. "'Are you all right?' "'A headache,' Jim said, dropping his hands. "'Too much fog.' Their shoes crunched along a border of wet grass. Falling away below was an emerald amphitheatre the size of a town, with ceaseless files of small, bare, white crosses arranged in dizzying symmetries that rose and descended until they seemed to merge in a chalk whiteness.' Jim stopped alone on the gravel and stared. These crosses were like a hundred thousand hands reaching through the grass, begging for their lost lives. I guess this is it, he thought. I guess this is it, forever and truly it. Now look at that, Albert called. On the summit, rooted unremitting against a sky blackened by smoke from horizon to horizon, was a huge, unwindowed granite mausoleum. From the shoulders where the wings met, towered a bayonet, bearing high into the last light the faint elongated outline of a cross. It was the cruelest, most hopeless thing Jim had ever seen. Suddenly he felt his eyes watering. "'A temple for no god,' he said. "'Nonsense. Just a tombstone for a dead century. Absit omen.' "'Absit omen,' Jim whispered. A prickling rain had begun to fall. The cloud had already swallowed the curve of the forest far below. Jim looked again at the crosses, then up at the monument's great spire. 
Think what this means. What has happened? he said. Albert turned to him with an expression of pity. What has happened? All of it is finished and gone. You see, no one comes here. The steep grass was wet. It skidded under Jim's thin soles. There was a last glow in the west. The still high sun emerged briefly between the blackening tide of fog and the mattressed overcast. Albert's shadow was bent over, one knee on a long stone slab. Jim leaned by the headstone set in the grass bank. Theodore Barthold von Sunder Zutzal, he read out. Marechal dans la Grande Armée? Yes, Albert laughed bitterly, and my grandfather was on the Kaiser's side. He was a hero of the Somme. Then, in the last war, my father, a deserter of the Russian front. With great delicacy, he brushed the grass clippings off the stone. All right, he said then, and rose to his feet. Enough of this. We're going now. Three. What if it is so? Jim Penn thought some hours later on the road after Neuchâteau, as he stared into the headlight beams. Albert was driving, and they were well into resistance country now. What if all bodies are buried, and all things forgotten? What if there can be no improvement, if destiny is ruled by material laws, and love is only a decoration necessary to organize conscience? Jim thought of his own father, who had died at the bulge. Major Penn's body had never been found, so probably he did not even have one of the little white crosses. Switching the map light on, he slipped a two-month-old newspaper clipping from his wallet and unfolded the headline. Justin Lothair is dead. Jim held the clipping steady, reading through again the famous man's rise from a North African slum to the height of his powers and the years of genius, when Lothair became a legend which in turn was the symbol of an age. Jim experienced freshly the incorruptibility of the past. Finally, he read about the automobile accident in which Lothair had died in eastern France. Then he folded the clipping and turned off the map light. Albert had not spoken for two hours. He was very great, I think. In what he lived and wrote, Jim said. He had no equal. There's a crossing ahead. Which road do we want? I know a manor house in the Louis Valley, Jim said. Take the Onan Road. Is that nearer than Besançon? A little nearer. Jim lied. He was all at once very hungry and excited to be on a French road headed for the old stone manor on the Lou. Forty minutes passed. They were through sleeping Ornan and on to the straight, climbing Carbon Road. This was the road in the newspaper piece, the road of Lothair's wreck. Jim sat forward in the passenger seat, his whole being concentrated beyond the hissing windows. White-banded trees flicked by in the headlights. I am rolling near the death of Justin Lothair, he thought. Suddenly they were crossing the church square in Carbon, and the road and its secret lay somewhere behind. Pushing back with a sigh, Jim looked ahead at the storm gathering above the car lights. Its coming was announced with flickered tongues of lightning. Look what you've brought down on us. Just water and electrons, Jim said. Turn down there. As Albert twisted the car steeply into the river gorge, bushes began threshing wildly in the lights. Then hail drummed deafeningly on the canvas roof and rattled on the paintwork. But a minute or two later they came to Moutier and wound up a narrow village alley. In walled vineyards that overlooked the river stood a stone manoir. Monsieur 
Pen,' said the red-haired patron, looking up from the register. "'And where is madame?' "'To be honest, madame, we have separated. "'God pardon us, what times we are in!' Four. "'Tell me something of the juror,' Jim was saying to the patron, ten minutes later in the bright dining-room. "'During the war, were there not resistance fighters here?' "'Oh, yes, the valley was famous. "'There are scenic caves one kilometer from here "'where the Germans burned forty maquisards.' "'Didn't we see enough today?' Albert said, "'when the woman had left them. "'Anyway, she would have been a collabo. "'Some things are worthy of memory.' "'You're so happy about these horrors. "'Really, you're being a ghoul,' Albert said. "'You know, you often remind me of father's stories of Justin. "'That is,' he added, "'when father deigned to visit us.' Jim's head swam. Abruptly he was unaware of the patron and of the soup she was setting before him. What do you mean? Your father knew Justin Lothair? Surely, James, your own father. I mean, you knew they were at the Sorbonne together in the thirties, my father, Lothair, and your father. They shared an apartment. And there was a fourth, Godard, I think, a philosopher— the simple dining-room with its whispering families had dissolved in a mist as all of Jim turned inward. Lothair, David Sunder, and his own father living together. You really didn't know, Albert said, watching him. Jim was humbled and very moved. If only I had... Parents avoid those subjects, James. Father hardly spoke to us of that time. Albert paused. He didn't tell us much. Of course I got some of it from Helene. Albert called his mother Helene. You know that Ricky, Joe, and I were born in the thick of it. Russia then...